welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Somebody came up to me and they said, Pastor Rob, they said, you have a great marriage, great kids. You're up there preaching, you got the spiritual life going on. And yet your physical is so bad. And I was like, yeah, I'm like addicted to Little Debbie snack cakes. You know what I mean? I'm addicted. I got to admit, I was embarrassed. Like 38% body fat and 250 cholesterol. I just thought, wait a minute, I've got to change before I have to. And I have been there, let me tell you something. I've been at the hospital where the guy has the heart attack and his whole life gets turned upside down. Worse than that, I have been there talking to the widow, devastated because her husband wouldn't change. What do you need to change? This is not like a weight loss clinic, okay? This is what do you need to change spiritually, relationally? Who do you need to forgive? What has God been just hammering on you and hammering on you and saying, it's time to change, it's time to change. We can either change because we have to, or we can change before we have to. All right, we have the opportunity now to have the bonus sermon, and uh, I haven't done this very often, uh, where I just kind of feel like there's too much here, and I've got to keep going and add to the series, but just felt so strong with this one to continue the series, give the bonus uh, material, and, and really address what do we do when we fail. And uh, I, I said in part three, I said when we fail, we get back up again. Failure does not define us. It's not game over. And uh, I think a lot of you really enjoyed it when I did the football analogy. And for those of you that missed it, I talked about what if in football, when there was a penalty, what if they just said, you know, blocking in the back, on the kickoff, game over, they lose. And uh, it's not like that. It's a penalty and it moves the ball backwards, but it's not game over. And I think a lot of us need to hear that again. When you fall, when you stumble, when you fail, whatever area of your life it is that you're trying to change and get into victory or vitality, when you fail, it's just a setback. It's not game over. It's not game over. And again, we talked about in the series about people wallowing in it and being like, well, I I failed, Uh, I did wrong, Uh, take me out of the game. I mean, I got a penalty. I can't play the rest of the game. It's game over for me because I got a penalty. And we can't live that way. We have to get back up when we fail and not be defined by it because there's two voices when we fall. When we fall and when we fail, no matter what you're trying to get victory in, There's two voices. One says, stay down, it's game over. And the other one says, get back up, there's something called grace. And you need to hear that voice. But how many know that one's whispering at you and the other one is shouting at you? And the other one has really familiar voices, maybe voices of a parent, maybe voices of a a boss, maybe voices of the bully in the neighborhood. Maybe it's, and and you stay down, stay down, stay down. They're screaming at you, but you've got to hear the voice of the spirit that says, get back up. And I believe if there's a key to change, 
It's learning to be a recipient of forgiveness, a quick recipient of it. You have to learn to confess your sins quickly and then receive the forgiveness and be a quick recipient of forgiveness and then get back up again. And I think that there is a key to this in Psalm 51, and I want to focus in on that today. Psalm 51, looking at the life of David. Now, David uh, fell in a, in a very serious way. Uh, it wasn't weight loss or anything like that. David fell in adultery. David committed adultery and committed murder. And we're going to see this for those of you that don't know the story. And I won't assume that people know the story. And I've learned this about our church. We're reaching people that are are far away from God or not in church and not familiar with all the stories. And so I love to tell the the background of the stories. And I I hope that you feel it's a safe place to invite people that don't know Jesus and don't know what church is all about because we won't talk over them. We'll talk with them and bring them into it. But I want to tell you the story of what happened. David was king of Israel. And uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that there was a time of the year that the kings went out to war, that kings went and took over territory or, or righted wrongs that happened to them in their kingdom from other kings. And David decides in this time not to go out to war. Matter of fact, I'll read it to you in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Okay, so here we have David is supposed to be out at war, but he doesn't go to war, and he's there, and he's sleepless. He can't sleep. And here's something that I want to let you know. When I wake up in the middle of the night because I can't sleep, the first thing I say is, God, are you waking me up on purpose? That's what I just say, just so you know. Are you waking me up on purpose? Am I supposed to pay attention to something spiritual, or am I supposed to go for some Tums? I just need to know what it is, yeah. (laughs) So I want to know, all right? I'll give you some good advice here. You may not have a rooftop to go on, but don't turn on the TV. Just don't turn on, just make that a rule. Don't turn on the TV. Don't even open yourself up to a little channel surfing, all right? Just, just focus in on either reading or whatever God has for you. But David doesn't do that. He's walking around on the top of the roof and he's looking around and he sees this lady, she's bathing and his heart goes into lust mode and he says, I want you. And so his servant goes and helps him out. And in those days, uh, servants pretty much did whatever the king wanted to do. And even though the king made the laws in their day, the king just didn't have to obey the law. I mean, he's king. If you would question the king like you're breaking the law, he's like, well, off with your head. So everybody's like, king gets to do whatever he wants to do. So somebody goes to get Bathsheba for him, and the Bible says something so simple. It says she came to him, and he slept with her, and then he sends her home. Now, it's interesting. After he sins with her, he sends her home. He just sends her home, and I will tell you this. Many times, the sin that you're attracted to, once you have that sin, it repels you. You're just consumed with lust or consumed with whatever else, and as soon as you have it, you're repelled, you're repulsed by it, and you send it away from you. And it's wrong. That's what he's doing. He's he's in this sin, and he's fixated on her. He's got to have her. He has her, and then he says, get out of here. So then the Bible says that she sends word to him. She says, I'm pregnant. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say, like, 
Okay, that's my, my child. Uh, what do I need to do to take care of this woman that I slept with? That's my child. Instead, he's thinking, boy, I don't even want to be entangled in this relationship. What I'm going to do is call for her husband to come back from war so he can come back from war and sleep with her. And then he'll kind of be confused as to the date and whose baby it really is. And I can get out of this situation. I mean, so he goes and does this. He sends for her husband, and her husband is such a, a loyal soldier. Her husband is such a, an amazing man that he says, far be it from me to go home and sleep with my wife and be in the comfort of my own bed while my men are out there sacrificing on the battlefield. Uh, I'm going to go and sleep in the king's palace on the hard floor so that he'll see how loyal I am, and I'll go back to my troops. And David's like, you're not working with the plan, Uriah. So David goes and gets him drunk. Uriah doesn't want to get drunk, but David goes and gets him drunk. And even when he gets him drunk, hoping he'll just walk back to home because he's drunk, he doesn't do that. He sleeps in the palace again, and David's like, you're making this difficult for me. And so David sends Uriah with a note. He's carrying a note that's his own death warrant that says to Joab, he says, when, when Uriah gets to the front, I want you to let him go to the front of the line and then I want you to back away from him and let him die. So Uriah's delivering his own death note. And he doesn't even, he's so loyal to David. And here's what David's doing. Now, this brought me into thinking here. Had abortion been legal in that day, I'm, I'm almost certain that David would have opted for it. Because this man is ready to kill a grown man to cover his sin. I'm convinced that he would have said, if this is a possibility, a sure thing, I would go for it. So put it in context to what he's thinking to do. He's sinning. He's saying, I'm going to cover it up with this. I'm gonna, I'll kill somebody to cover up my sin. And this is all going on. And as soon as this happens, he's sitting there. He, he has Uriah killed. Job does what he wants him to do. He has Uriah killed. David is sitting there thinking, I got away with it. Fine. I, I, I'm done with this. Now I don't have to worry about this problem anymore. Or does he? So the Bible says that he's sitting there in this moment. He, he takes Bathsheba now to be his wife, and he's going to take her into this uh, family of his and do this. And in 2 Samuel eleven twenty six, it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That is a huge understatement. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So it displeased the Lord so much so that in chapter 12, the Bible says that God gives Nathan, the prophet, a word about David. And he says, Nathan, this is what David has done. David has slept with Bathsheba. He has killed Uriah. He's done terrible. He sinned against me, and I want you to go confront him. How many know you better hear from God if you're bringing that story? But Nathan was a prophet and one of the few people that could call out the king and goes into the king's presence. And I love the way that he does. It's probably one of the greatest parables in the Old Testament, if not the greatest parable in the Old Testament. He goes into David's presence. David's thinking he's, you know, just gotten away with this sin and with murder. And he's just enjoying being king and doing whatever he wants. And then Nathan the prophet says, there was a guy, a rich guy, he, he's got all these sheep and cattle, and then this poor guy comes to town, he's got one little lamb, 
and they needed to eat a meal. And so the rich guy goes and to the poor guy's little lamb and kills his only little lamb and feeds that to his guests rather than taking from all the things that he has. Now, David's so upset with this. He's like, that guy surely needs to die. And that guy needs to pay back four times what he did. And in the way that only the King James Version can say it, Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. You took Uriah's only little wife. You got all these things. You did it. Man, you could feel the intensity of the conviction and just calling it out. And in that moment, David realizes, I have sinned against God. I used to be good, but somehow I fell. Somehow I became cold. Somehow I've lost my love for God, and I've turned against the one that has given me everything I have, and now I'm in a pit. Now I've hit rock bottom. And in that moment, in in 2 Samuel, he says, I've sinned. I have sinned against God. And he is a quick confessor of his sins. Now he could have said, No, I didn't, Nathan. Off with your head. I want a new prophet. He could have, but he doesn't. He he gets that conviction and goes into it and says, yes, I have sinned. I have sinned against God. I am sorry for my sins. I repent. I will turn from them. And the Bible says that his son died. Nathan said, what you did in private, God is now going to judge you in public. Everyone's going to see what you did. What you did in private, God will judge in public. And he said, and you won't die, but this son born to you will die. And so David goes into mourning and, and he's praying, God, I know, please have mercy. Please have mercy. Please have mercy. He's like, I'm really sorry. But then the boy dies. And then David gets up and he says, God is just. God knows what he's doing. I, I, I don't... I'm sorry. I'm so thankful for his forgiveness. I'm moving forward. I am a quick confessor of my sin, and now I'm going to be a quick recipient of this forgiveness, and I'm going to move forward. And he writes for us in Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, go there. Psalm 51, an amazing, amazing psalm that talks about what he was thinking and what the Holy Spirit was doing in him while he fell, while he needed to change, while he needed to get back to who he was as a good person, as the sweet singer of Israel, as the apple of God's eye, as this beloved child that wanted to defend God's honor and kills the giant. He's like, I've got to get back to that. And Psalm 51 gives us an insight into this. And it also starts with a major understatement. Maybe your book has a little description about Psalm 51. Uh, Your Bible does. Mine did. It said this. It says, for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's just way too easy. Yeah. I mean, it should have said, a psalm when David had his guts ripped out after the bad things he did, and he pours out his heart before the Lord. But it's just, here it is. Now, here's what I want to share with you. If you've blown it, and you're here, and you're thinking you are way too far away from grace, you've got to hear this message. You have to. You can't miss this. If you're listening online at one of our campuses, you have to hear this. You are not too far away from grace. David is going to give us an incredible insight into how gracious God is. Because this psalm is broken down into three sections. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 6, is David's confession. Verses 7 through 12 is the cleansing. And 13 through 19 is the consecration. And if that's too big of words for you to remember, the first section is forgive me. 
The second section is cleanse me. And the third section is use me. Forgive me, cleanse me, use me. Now, I want to read this for you, Psalm 51. David is writing. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. So in this, he's, he's learning to be a quick confessor of his sins and a quick recipient of forgiveness. And you're going to have to learn this. If you're going to change before you have to, you're going you're to fall. You're going to have to get back up again. You're going to say that I'm going to live pure and then something's going to happen because we live in a world that's trying to stop you from becoming pure. And so when that happens, you can get right back up again. And the first thing you need to realize is you need to confess your sins. David confesses it. He doesn't rationalize it away and say, you know, kings will be kings. Kings will be kings. You know how it is. Us kings, we just kind of do what we want to do. He doesn't do that. And I want to tell you this. He actually piles it on himself. He says, he lets it sting a little bit in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. He said, my transgressions, my sin, my iniquity, my evil. You see that? He doesn't say, my mistake. The world says, hey, you've done a few mistakes. Okay, God did not send his son to die on the cross to forgive you of some mistakes, okay? He sent his son to die on the cross to forgive you of your sins, okay? He forgives sins, and what you've done has separated you from God, just like David, and it's called sin. And the problem is, the world doesn't like to preach about sin. The world doesn't like to talk about sin, and some people will try to explain it away, like, what'd your mom and dad do to you, and how does that make you feel, and do you want to blame it on anybody else, you know? And the Word of God doesn't do that, and David didn't do that. He'd say, it's not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. I did it. I sin. I'm wrong. I admit. I confess. I'm guilty. And how many know that's really hard for us to do? But if you're going to get up and change before you have to and really make the change, you're going to have to say, I did it. I'm wrong. I confess. I fell. God, I'm sorry. I'm coming back to you. And it's hard for us to do that. I remember um, we had some neighbors that are still in our church. They're not our neighbors anymore. We moved away from them. But uh, no, we, we, we love them. And uh, we were so close to their kids, and they were so close to ours. And so they would call us uh, their bad mom and dad. They called Beck and I their bad mom and dad, and that was their good mom and dad. And our boys would do the same thing to them. And so this little girl, Kelsey, uh, she was seven years old. And, and uh, one day, she got a hold of her mom's razor. And uh, she took the razor out of the shower, and she shaved her eyebrow off. Okay, so she shaves her eyebrow off. And then they see her later that day, and they said, did you? what did you do? And she goes, I didn't do anything. And they're like, well, you're missing an eyebrow. She goes, I didn't do anything. You know, she's seven years old. She goes, I didn't do anything. And then they look at her thumb and her thumb is all cut up and bleeding. 
And what she had done is all the hair was in the, the razor, so she was trying to get the hair out of the razor, and so she's cutting up her thumb. And they said, we know what you did. Your thumb is bleeding. It's right there. You don't have an eyebrow. And finally, after like, you know, like going at her, she goes, I did it. <laughs> and then the breakthrough, the flood of tears. And finally, I did it. If you want a breakthrough, you have to get to the point of saying, I did it. I did it. I did it. I'm not explaining it away. I'm not going to say boys will be boys, kings will be kings. This is what accountants do. This is just the way we live. No, I did it. And that's what David did, and he confessed his sin. And when you fall, if you're going to get back up again and change, you're going to have to say, I did it. And then we're going to look here at the cleansing, and it's incredible. Verses 7 through 12 talks about cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. And he goes through all this. But here's the amazing thing. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, get this. The cleansing of David actually was starting in verse 1. Verse 1 of this, he appeals to God's covenant love. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. In the Old Testament, there were only two sins that could not be covered with the atonement, with blood of animals. They would do these animal sacrifices. They would have the day of atonement where they would cover all the sins. There were two sins that couldn't be covered. Murder and rape. David does both of them. He basically takes an innocent woman, uses his power as king to have his way with her sexually. She is submitted in this. It wasn't a relationship. He sends her back to her house. Get away from me. I've had you. It was basically rape. Then he kills her husband. So now he's there in this situation and he says, God, forgive me. Forgive me, I need mercy. He is outside of the rules of what God says can be covered. And, and David gives us an understanding and grace that he had a glimpse of that no one else did. He says, God, according to your covenant love, you never let us down. We always let you down. We never live up to our part. We're desperate even when we have the day of atonement, it's not good enough. We need more. We need mercy. We need grace. I appeal to the fact that you never let us down and we always let you down. Please hold on to the covenant and forgive me and include murder in this. Include rape in this because I'm sorry. Incredible. Incredible. And then he appeals to the second part of it. He says, according to your great compassion, he has an understanding of God that blows your mind. He understands that God has a component to him like a mother loves their child. And he says, God, in this aspect of your love, I know you got the dad side where you discipline me, but you got the mom side too, where you'd be there even at my death if I did something wrong, loving me and stroking my face and saying I love you, even on the way to death for a penalty that I did. Because moms would show up. Moms would be there for their kids. And he's like, God, I know you're better than my mom. I appeal to you. Give me grace and mercy because I can't make it on my own. 
I mean, this is just ripping our guts out right now. David understood grace, I think, better than most of us do. And we have the benefit of looking at the cross and, and seeing how amazing Jesus is with the grace. And so he's appealing to God. And the reason that God didn't include murder and rape in the atonement and in the covering was this. Murder took away a person's life and only God knew what they could have done. And you took that away from them. And then rape takes away their innocence. And this word that would be used in the atonement that wouldn't be covered was rape and incest. It said you're taking away their innocence. And now their soul is going to have a limp to it. And because you took away their innocence, there's no redemption for you in the Old Testament. Thank God that now he says, murderers, rapists, everyone can be forgiven. It doesn't mean they still won't go to jail and they should go to jail and pay the price for the things that they've done, but they can still be forgiven for eternity. It's just an amazing thing. And David is saying, you know, I appeal to you. I, I ask you for grace. So let me just say to you, if you're here and you're saying, I've fallen, I can't make it. I can't change. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm angry. I've cheated on my spouse. I've done these things. Yes, you can. You can get grace if you will admit that you've sinned and then appeal to God's covenant love, his mother love, the grace of Jesus Christ, and you can be forgiven. It's incredible. It's incredible that God would do that for us. Then he says, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He's saying, God, I need some joy. I need a picture of a better future. If I'm getting up from this, I need a picture of a better future. And we talked about that and change it before we have to. And he says, I need to know that I'm forgiven. I need to know that I'm forgiven. He says, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity. He says, I need to know that the sins are not down there on the bottom lurking, coming up after me. I need to know that. And he says, yeah, they're blotted out. They're gone. They're taken as far as the east is from the west. Man. And he says, creating me a clean heart creating me a clean heart. When we get back up again, we say, God, I did it. I'm sorry. I, I appeal to grace and mercy. Now, would you put in me a clean heart? Would you put in me uh, the, what I had there? Because I used to be good. I used to have something good. And somewhere in the process, I lost my way. And I just had contempt for you, God. And I lost my way and I sinned. God, will you put back in me this clean heart? And then in verse 13, he says, then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back. He says, you know what? Use me, God. Use me. And if I could say there's one thing about repentance that is, is, is many times forgotten is when you say you're sorry and then he cleanses you of your sins, the way to say thank you to God is say, use me. Use me. I'm not just going to sit on the sidelines and just sit here. God, I want to be used by you. I I'll teach people that are wrong the ways of God. I'll tell my story. And some of you are like, I'm never telling my story. I don't want anybody to know what I did. David's was in the Bible. Okay? And here we are benefiting from it. What if God could take what you did and use it for his glory because you would teach transgressors the right ways of God? And you'd say, here's what I did. Here's what I did. I'm ashamed of what I did, but I thank God for grace. And now I want to warn you. What about those that have the worst testimony of being terrible, bad for the world and God giving you grace? Why, why wouldn't you go to the youth group and say, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Why not be a marriage mentor if you blew your marriage? Why not say, no, 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 don't go down that road. It's, it leads to a dead end. I thank God for grace now, but man, don't go down the road. The pain isn't worth it. And he says, I'll teach, teach transgressors your ways. 
We say we're sorry. We receive forgiveness. We get made new on the inside, and then we get back up and say, I'll work for you. Lord, I'm going to help other people change. I'm going to help other people understand how good you are, how amazing you are, how incredible you are. That's the way God works. Forgiven and go and sin no more. Forgiven, go and make a difference. Forgiven, go. You're a flawed person, but I'm going to use you. It's all because of grace. Amazing, amazing things here. Be a quick confessor. Be a quick confessor. Let me just focus on that just for a moment. Be a quick confessor. So many of us are professional excuse makers. Become a quick confessor. When you confess your sins, be a quick recipient to the grace of God and then get to work helping others to make the change. So God, right now, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would be quick confessors. Lord, we, we want to change. We want to be more like you. And we know that we're human and we don't intend to trip up. We're not giving ourselves an excuse. We've talked about that before. We don't intend to. But we know this world is full of things that want to trip us up. And we know that it's highly probable we're going to trip and fall. And when we do, God, I pray that we'd be quick confessors. We're going to call sin, sin. And we're not going to excuse it away and say it was just a little thing. It was sin. We'll confess to you, God. We appeal to your grace. We appeal to your mercy. And when we receive your grace and we receive your mercy and we feel and we know that we're cleansed, I pray that we'd get back up and listen to the voice of grace that says, now go and show people how good God is. Go and show people that are far away from God that have done terrible things that they can be forgiven. Go and show people that are disinterested in the things of God that God forgives and restores and renews. How amazing that is. Thank you, God. And then help us. Help us as we change to keep that change in our life daily. To keep that change so we can keep showing more and more people how they can change and find you as Lord and Savior. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.